I've been in situations where I did choose to speak and I've had a family texting me, this is why I hired you. And which was like, okay, so I'm not overstepping right now. <laughs> Even if the hospital staff is angry or disappointed, I'm not overstepping my client because my big thing is what I don't want advocacy to be defined as is every time Rhonda sees something that's not appropriate or something my client doesn't want, Rhonda takes her client's voice by speaking. Because that to me is not advocacy. Mm -hmm. However, there are moments where Rhonda's voice is needed. This is Pros Talk Pregnancy, the no BS show that's not afraid to get real about all things pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and beyond. I'm talking with visionaries and game changers who are challenging the status quo and changing the world one pregnancy and one birth at a time. I'm Lindsay McCoy, mom of four, lover of the mountains, seeker of knowledge, exercise physiologist, birth doula, and childbirth educator. Basically, I'm an all-around pregnancy and birth nerd. My passion is making pregnancy, childbirth, and recovery better and empowering professionals and families alike. Are you ready? Let's go. Hello, my amazing friends in the podcast world. Today, we are joined by Rhonda Fellows, who is a doula and a doula trainer, among other many amazing things. We are going to talk all things what we think doulas should know. So the doula industry is largely unregulated. You see many trainings popping up all over the place, and there's a lot of inconsistencies in knowledge base levels. And so Rhonda, who trains doulas, comes on and talks all about what she thinks doulas should know. The other thing about being a doula is a lot of people are coming into this industry thinking, this is such a cool, such a magical job, which it is. You get to see babies being born. However, so many people burn out in under a year or they never really get their foot in the door in the right way, leaving the industry to turn over very frequently. What we need in this industry is people who are in it for the long haul, people who get it, people who are prepared for the difficult parts of this profession. And so that's what Rhonda and I jam about, and I am so excited to share this episode with you all. Rhonda Fellows is a Dona certified black birth doula, childbirth educator, doula trainer, lactation champion, oh, I love that, doula mentor, pelvic steam facilitator, and family advocate with 20 years of working with youth and families in the nonprofit realm. Amazing. So she has many hats. Her passion is educating families so they know their rights and feel comfortable advocating for themselves. She has attended over 100 births. Originally from Cleveland, Ohio, Rhonda moved to Minneapolis in 2014. She enjoys spending time with others, watching TV and movies, eating good food, and relaxing on the beach. My favorite things in life, or her favorite things in life rather, revolve around relationships with others. I love it. Welcome to the show, Rhonda. We're so happy to have you here. Thank you. I'm excited. Yeah. So we, we've been running in the same circles for a couple years, and I'm really excited to finally chat. Yes. You know? Yes. It, it's going to be great. Let's it's going to be a great conversation. <laughs> yes. I, I just see you doing so many amazing things for the birth community. And I just thought what we need to see more birth communities doing the things that we're doing around here. So let's, let's hear about it. So first of all, tell me your tale. Like, how did you get to be where you are today in, in your career in the birth world? I like to say it just happened <laughs> because I never expected to be in the birth world. I never knew anything about birth past OBs and hospitals. Mm. Um, and so I would say maybe five years ago now. Yeah, about five years ago, um, a friend announced she was pregnant, which we are all excited. And just out of my mouth came, oh, can I go? And I thought, yeah, so that's floating. You can't grab that back. It's just so rude and inappropriate to say it, but it was said. Um, and then she said, oh, sure. Yeah. And at this point, we've been friends for nine years. 
um, as long as my husband is okay with it, which he was. And I just thought, I'm never bringing this up again. <laughs> so, uh, and then there was four of us together and the other friends said, oh, you'd be a great doula. And I said, a what? Oh, you'd be a great doula. I'm like, a what? Like, what I don't is even that? know the word that's coming out of your mouth right now. So that just put me on a silent journey to figure out what a doula was because I didn't want people to bring it up. I didn't want people to say, oh, have you thought more about being a doula? So I was just secretly researching. And I don't know, a few months later, we were hanging out again. And my friend said, oh, yeah, and Rhonda's going to be at our birth. And inside I was like, oh, I am? Okay, great. <laughs> but because, you know, still not bringing it up. So I'm like, that yeah. was so rude and inappropriate to ask that question. So that's where it started. And then um, towards the end of the summer, so this was originally in February, towards the end of the summer, she said, oh, my doula wants you to come to our last prenatal. And I'm like, okay, I can come. And she said, well, my doula said, it'd be great to have another person to pray and read scripture. And Mm -hmm. I thought to myself, of all the things I read about doulas, that was not on the list. Sure. And I thought, well, but if that's what I should do, then sure, I can do that. (laughs) I don't know. We're all, we were, this is a Christian circle. And so I'm like, yeah, sure. So we had a good prenatal meeting and then I don't really remember all of what we did in that meeting. I know we did not practice any positions though, but I don't really remember what all we talked about. And then it was time for her birth and I was there. It was the couple and then her doula and I And, oh, the other thing I want to say that was important for my journey was maybe the doula said I should read the birth partner. Maybe that's who told me. And Mm -hmm. my goal was to read that whole book by the time her birth happened. And that book is big, but it was really, really helpful. I did not finish it. However, during her birth, pages of it started coming back to me almost as if I had a photographic memory, which I don't, but that's how that experience was. And it was amazing. Um, we, it was at the Minnesota birth center. And then at the end of the birth, we ended up needing to get her out of the tub, which was like, I guess I hadn't imagined that that would happen. Once you were in the tub, you might need to get out. Oh like, yeah. Nothing, right. <laughs> and so now we're on the bed pushing and just the way everyone situated themselves. Once we got to the bed, the spot that was left was the foot of the bed. So now I'm like at this perfect view, which this is the best thing in life. And, um, I was just there the rest of the time, even while they were stitching her. And it was just, it was really good for me as a first going to a first birth with a doula mindset, um, to see how everything unfolded. Um, and then, so the midwife looks to me after everything settles and she says, so how long have you been a nurse? And I said, mm, excuse me. <laughs> how long have you been a nurse? I said, oh, I work in HR. <laughs> I work in human resources. She's like, oh, I just thought you were a nurse the way you were talking and the things you understood. And what she didn't know was everything she saw, other than we can say, well, it was just given to me by God. Other than sometimes yeah. it was what I remembered from the birth partner. Interesting. And yeah. So that was the first birth I went to with a doula mindset. Now I had helped a couple friends when I lived in Ohio, but um but I was just there to hold their leg because I didn't know. Sure. Anything, right. Yeah. You just birth on your back and someone holds your leg up. Right. Yeah, for sure. And so that was my introduction into birth. And I was like, shoot, well, maybe this is what I'm supposed to be doing. <laughs> so I contacted a couple local trainers. I didn't know anything but Donna at the time. And so I ended up in January doing a Donna training with Marla, which was I learned a lot. I would also say in December, so that was January, in December, I come, approached a family at church and said, hey, I know you're pregnant. Can I come to your birth? And they <laughs> said, yes. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> and, I love it. And she was pregnant with twins and her, she went into labor a couple of days before my doula training. And I remember her saying at my first birth, I didn't want to be touched because we never actually had an, a prenatal. And so yeah. I am literally walking through Abbott thinking, don't touch her, don't touch her. Don't. At the whole way down the hall, don't touch her, don't touch her, don't touch her. Don't touch her. <laughs> uh, she said she was so hot. So she just wanted to stand in the bathroom with her head up against the forehead up against the cold wall. And that was comforting to her. Mm. So then I had that Minnesota birth center birth 
which was amazing. And then she had an unmedicated twin birth. Wow. And um, I, to this day, have a girl crush on Dr. Anjali Wilcox. Okay. Abbott, because she's Love so it. amazing. Um, but just, so those are my two first doula births. So I naively think this is how birth goes. Yeah. <laughs> and then the third birth happened. So then the real reality hit. But so that's how it started for me. And so I was a volunteer doula for a homeless shelter and started taking everyday miracles clients. And I would just approach people that I knew that were pregnant. Mm-hmm. And that's where it started for me. Yeah. And you just, it was almost like you were, you found your place. You found, I find that in the first birth, I find that some people are like, oh my gosh, this is what I meant to do. And then other people are like, whoa, <laughs> you know, like it, it's a lot. I, I think mm-hmm. we think of the magic of birth, right. but then, you know, sometimes you're awake for three days and, yeah. um, doing very physical work. So mm-hmm. it's, it's quite a balance. You know, my first birth ever was actually 40 hours long. So it was definitely like trial by fire, just like go right. do it. And it could have easily been like a, no way I'm not doing this, but for whatever reason, mm-hmm. I guess I meant to do this work. I, I continued on, you know, so. Right. Right. So I, um, I would say out of the first five births, all except for one, they were asking me how long have I been a nurse? Wow. Fascinating. Yeah. Cause it was just, this. you just intuitively <laughs> know. Yeah, yeah, no, I just, it, and I, after the second midwife said that to me, and this was a hospital birth, I said, it just came out of me. I'm like, this is what God has called me to do. It just, mm-hmm. I didn't even think about it. I was like, yeah. no, I was just born to do this. Yeah. You know? And so as that put me on the trajectory that moved, felt like it moved really quickly. Yeah. You've been like this shining star, just like moving up in this birth world. Not that there's an up, but just like making waves, which is what we need. So, um, I've been following, I want to hear more about, you've been doing a lot of work. It sounds like with collaborating and forming relationships with hospitals. Is that correct? And like working to get, because we were talking before we hit record and I was like, Oh, we should have hit record about just how oftentimes we see it as like, if there's a hierarchy in birth, it's like the provider, the nurse, and then this doula, it's like, what are you, why are you here? So mm-hmm. like, what have you been doing and, and how do you see that collaboration being most helpful? Well, first I'll say there is a hierarchy for sure. Yeah. And I think that partnership is really important during the birthing time, even before and after, but especially during the birthing time, partnership is important um, between everyone in the room. Yeah. I have heard lots of stories of doulas being hit and pushed and yelled at and, you know, knocked out the way, all yeah. different kinds of things I, I hear of and still hear of actually um, the experiences people are having. And, you know, it's hard to know where that came from. Was it an emergency? Usually when people tell those stories, it wasn't. So it was, mm. it was an inappropriate touch um, or inappropriate tone. Is it that the last five doulas this provider saw were what they considered awful? And so they just now have a bad taste in their mouth. I don't know. Is it uh, territorial? Because a lot of times doulas who tell these stories feel like the provider or the hospital staff is being territorial. Um, and just doesn't want the doula there, or they don't think the doulas are needed or doulas are in the way, or maybe they've had experiences where doulas try to usurp what the hospital staff is suggesting, you know, so whatever it might be, you know, and I'm not putting any opinion on any of those things. It's just, those seem to be categories that I hear as we talk about those things. And so, um, so yes, I have been meeting with three other doulas with hospitals behind the scenes to try to build better relationships, you know, asking, what do you think about the relationship with doulas in your staff? Is it going smoothly having doulas at births? Do you see any issues that are coming up or, or just issues during the birthing time? What are you hearing after births about, you know, those relationships? How can we help bridge that gap? And the flip side of that is, 
this is what we're hearing from doulas about their experiences in your facility yeah. and with your staff. Yes. This is also, and then the third side of that, which is technically the first side, really, is this is what families are telling doulas about their experience. Right. And so it's those meetings are, <clears throat> excuse me, a mixture of all of that. You know, wanting to hear. I like to go in and have them just talk to us first so we totally. can hear how they truly feel so they can just get it out and not feel like they have to be defensive when they're sharing. And then after they share, then I would like for us to be able to say, this is what we're hearing from families. This is what we're hearing from doulas. Ideally to me, that would be the perfect world. And then the magic carpet comes in and then we're all like, okay, let's be friends. Yeah, oh, let's. <laughs> let's do that. Cause let's be a partnership, you know? Right. So that's what would be amazing in the perfect world would happen, right? And then after those meetings, things would change in ways that would make experiences better for families. Because really, it's yes, as doulas, we deserve respect because we're human beings. But really, we need the experience to be better for families because if families are having better experiences, doulas will also have better experiences. Exactly. And that's what it's about, right? It's about this family Right. Having a voice and being heard and being mm -hmm. supported in the ways they want to be supported. Right. And right. I right. feel this too. There can sometimes be this tension between the hospital staff, mm -hmm. well, especially hospital, but all, all type, all birth providers, um, mm -hmm. and the doula and it, we are on the same team. Like we are right. all trying to make this experience better for this family. And mm -hmm. it's, it's frustrating, but, um, I, I love what you're doing because it, it can get so, um, us versus them. And now in the world of social media, you know, I've been seeing a lot of posts, which I get because like, as doulas, we see a lot of stuff, right. a lot of stuff that's not okay. And so we mm -hmm. get angry and then we advocate, but sometimes we can do it in a way that puts them on the defense. So I would love to hear like, what are some what are your strategies for advocating for your clients? Like in a birth room, if you see something going on, that's not okay. Or you see, you feel something, what, what's your strategy? Like, how do you, how do you get them to. That's listen? a great question. It's tricky. It's <laughs> um, tricky. Yeah. I, the first thing I have to do is inside my head, talk to myself mm. because I am a very direct person. And many people think I don't have a filter which if you only knew the things I filtered out oh, before man. I said the thing that upset <laughs> you, right? And so that's where I have to start. And unfortunately, as a Black woman, there's that other uh, stereotype of the angry Black woman oh, as well. Yes. And because of systemic racism, we have that dynamic as well. So unfortunately, in my mind, I have all these things and is there a space for code switching here? Is it not a space for code switching here? You know, all this is going through my head before I even say whatever I say. I generally respond to things by asking questions because I don't want to come off in a way that will make a situation worse. Totally, However, exactly. I'm hired by the family, right? Mm -hmm. um, I've been in situations where I did choose to speak in ways that wasn't a question, but with statements, with and I've had a family texting me, this is why I hired you, mm. right? And which was like, okay, so I'm not overstepping right now. Even if the mm. hospital staff is angry or disappointed, I'm not overstepping my client because my big thing is what I don't want advocacy to be defined as is every time Rhonda sees something that's not appropriate or something my client doesn't want, Ryan take, Rhonda takes her client's voice by speaking. Because yes. that to me is not advocacy. Mm -hmm. However, there are moments where Rhonda's voice is needed, right? I right. just experienced that this weekend. Okay. Um, and so for me, advocacy is a fine line of being observant and in, tuned, in tune with the room to know if it's my voice that needs to be spoken. You know, I one of the things I label myself as is the great whisperer. I will whisper to my client in a heartbeat. And I've had uh, hospital staff say, oh, you don't have to whisper. You can just speak openly as I continue whispering because okay. I don't want it to be my voice unless right. it needs to be. And so, you know, I was at a birth this year where uh, my client is pushing and the midwife is holding a needle. So in my mind, 
the only time I see people holding needles in front of someone's vagina during pushing is when they're going to numb for an episiotomy. Right. So I whispered to my client, the husband, I said, I really think you should ask the midwife why she's holding something sharp. Right. Right. And so that was how I advocated in that moment. Um, Same birth. This is an unmedicated birth. She pushes her baby out on her own. Um, She has some minor tears and um, the nurse, I missed the conversation between the midwife and the nurse, but the nurse is now walking over with a syringe of fentanyl. And I am confused because the midwife is pushing fentanyl right now. Hmm. And my client who had this unmedicated birth is still in labor land, even though the baby's out and um, they're doing baby stuff and I'm watching this unfold and they're really pushing fentanyl hard. And Hmm. my clients are really confused and she's not really out of her days and they're saying that they're confused. And so I just say, in Rondo's own words, um, <laughs> I think what she's saying is, if the, the suturing is too much for you, they can give you fentanyl. I know that's not what they were doing. Sure. But I tried, reworded it for my client who was like, why are you trying to ju- give us drugs right now? You know? Like we're good. I've never seen a minor uh, suture needed to be done with anything more than lidocaine. I'm yeah, not saying that surprises me. I'm not saying it couldn't happen, but this yeah. midwife was pushing medicine from the time she walked in. Mm-hmm. And so we were constantly turning down medicine. Right. And so that was how I advocated in that moment. This weekend right. when I was advocating, I was very, very verbal as if I was a pregnant person. Um, and it was, I'm not, I'm not going to go into that family situation, but it was sure. actually needed in that moment. But, and so advocacy looks different. But right. I really believe that as doulas, we have to be careful that we don't take our client's voice in the name of advocacy. Because sometimes when I hear doulas uh, conversations, sometimes it sounds like that's what people are saying they're doing. They may not because I wasn't there. And so I'm really cautious about it. I have created this silly little infogram for my clients that says um, doulas are not superheroes and has a picture of Superwoman and all the people mm-hmm. on it. <clears throat> I'm not, you're not hiring me to be the, the um, doctor police. I'm not right. coming to your birth ready to fight. That's not my job. You need to pick a different provider. If you've hired your doula to fight for you, then you might not be birthing in the right location or with the right team. Now I understand not everywhere in the country, um, they have great options. I get that too, but also mm-hmm. it's not fair to a doula to be hired to come in with you know, guns blazing. That's also not okay. That is so good. So many quotables. Oh my goodness. Like (laughs) I love it because that is so true. And advocacy does look different in different situations. And I always try to first, I always try to connect with the staff if possible. Like I will tell my clients, I will say, if you're in the bathroom, you know, door shut needing your space and you hear me chatting up the nurse or whatever, that is very intentional. Like I am trying to, in any way I can in this short period of time sometimes, and sometimes I don't get the chance to, of course, I'm trying to build this spirit of collaboration. And I Mm -hmm. think sometimes as doulas, and it's because we do see stuff, like you say, we see stuff that is not okay. And it Mm -hmm. puts us on the defense. So if we can in any way, get them to see, like, we're not here to fight you. We are here to work together to get this family what they want. And sometimes they're not willing to do that. I've had Mm -hmm. providers who won't even look me in the eye and it's so, it's so disheartening, but, um, we just keep, um, there's a local, um, birth doula used to be a doula trainer here. Used to say like sling around honey. It was Liz Mm -hmm. Abini is Mm -hmm. her name sling around honey. Like it's not always possible, but if we can advocate first, the first line of defense is always collaboration, right? Is always Mm -hmm. us working together. But if I see something, you know, I've been to births where, you know, bubble of peace for anyone who doesn't want to hear some of the scarier stuff, but I've seen where the birthing person is screaming, no, Mm -hmm. while the provider is inserting their hand in their vagina. Like that's not something that I'm okay with just standing there and watching. So I may not, I love how you say you're asking questions 
So for me, I'm never speaking for my, on my client's behalf, unless I absolutely have to, but I am always asking questions. And sometimes I will ask them loudly, you know, back when, um, it doesn't happen as often now in the twin cities, but I, it used to be like when I first started being a doula 12 years ago, the delayed cord clamping was a big thing. Like every fighter, mm. as soon as the baby came out, they'd clamp. And I would just say, you know, when I saw those, those scissors coming, you know, the clamp coming near, I'd say, are you inter-, you know, I'd, I'd phrase it as a question to my client. I'd say like, it looks like your provider is about to clamp your cord. Would you like, you know, it depends on the situation, but I right. phrase it as a question right? so that they aren't thinking that I'm being like, stop, no, not okay. I'm asking right. my client. So they're aware. Cause like you, like you mentioned, your client wasn't even out of that labor land. Mm-hmm. And so it's really hard to make decisions when your brain is not in that place in your brain, that the front, right. If you want to be a nerd, I call it's the prefrontal cortex. That's where yes. you can judge and plan, but um, right. you can't be there during birth. If no. you want to be in that space where we're like in that flow. Right. Right. So it's tricky. It's such a balance. What else do I want to ask you about that? So <laughs> <laughs> I, I really, I think this, I, I love that you're speaking with the hospital staff. Have you noticed, and you don't need to bring up any specific hospitals, but have you noticed that they're interested in collaboration or do you feel more tension or is it kind of a combination? I've seen it. I've seen both things. I'll say, I will say names that Alina and regions have been really, really open to um, doulas as the idea of doulas are part of the birth team and working together and how do we make things better? you know, wanting to hear stories of, of course, of things that are going well, but also um, of things that are not going well, you know, these are the people you contact, these are people you email on our, excuse me, on our staff, if you're having issues, you know, that's Um, amazing, you know, like I was saying this weekend, it was a pretty rough situation as far as some of the things that, excuse me, that were being said, and I immediately sent an email, and I knew it was the weekend, meaning I knew no one was going to see it, but Monday morning, I had a response and oh, we had a, a full conversation through email from that, you know, and by the end of that day, something was changed, not because of me, but because it was the situation. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so it doesn't always happen that fast for us. And we don't, we don't have that at every hospital. And I'm not saying that other hospitals would not be interested. I just know that right now from meetings that I've been in that Alina, the system, as well as regions, the hospital have both been, yes, let's have meetings. Let's talk through this. Let's have the hard conversations, but let's keep talking. You know, um, yes. we started having monthly meetings with Alina a year ago now, you know, and now that we've been meeting monthly for a year, we're going to move to quarterly, but still it, that's great because it was a group decision to move to quarterly. Um, but we were hammering out monthly, some hard conversations. And when I say hard conversations, the end result is not let's have the hospital do everything the doulas want, because that's not what it's about. No, It's about, mm-hmm. let's talk about what's happening and what can we do to better that thing. Um, and in the end, the thing we want to better is family experience. And so how do we get to that? This episode is brought to you by the Body Ready Method, our game-changing, interactive, fully online course for perinatal and birth professionals who want to elevate the way they serve their clients. We teach you how to help your clients prepare their bodies for a more functional pregnancy and efficient birth, and teach you what to do when, during birth, through the lens of birth biomechanics. Gain confidence and new skills to support your clients. Sign up for the waitlist for our next cohort at bodyreadymethod.com. Right. And I know I've seen, cause so we have, so Rhonda and I are in the same local birth community and we have a local, we have, you know, a Facebook group that, you know, a lot of local doulas are in. And I love when someone's like, you know, I'm not being allowed in the OR, for example, 
And then mm-hmm. we can, you know, people are like, oh, contact this person, you know, right. like we, I think sometimes in other birth communities, it's all about competition and it's all, there's not a lot of collaboration, but I have mm-hmm. seen and observed the power when we as a group come together, right? That is how we elevate our profession. Mm-hmm. We need to work together. We need people like Rhonda and Rhonda's <laughs> team who are, who are doing the work on the ground level with these hospitals. That mm-hmm. is what makes things better for our families, you know? So, mm-hmm. oh, so good. Um, I would love to hear um, more. You also, you're doing doula trainings, correct? Now you're teaching people to doula. Yes. So I have a teaching partner. Um, her name is Heather Christine Struy. And we do have our own separate businesses, but we met, we lived probably five miles from each other and didn't know each other, but we met during an evidence-based birth instructor training a couple years ago. And then evidence-based birth has this um, non-compete basically sure. policy with instructors. So if you live in the rate, a certain radius, you should see if you can work together. And so that's how we met. And we've been thickest thieves ever since. And so we teach childbirth education to pregnant families monthly or every other month. We teach a series of four to six weeks. And then um, we were, I would say back in the fall, starting to help someone else who trains um, just to fill in some gaps for them. And then we decided, let's just write our own curriculum. And we did. And so we're independently teaching Because we don't, as far as I know, we don't have any local doula trainings, meaning not attached to big box companies. And I'm not anti-big box companies, actually. I think people should do what works best for them. Agreed. Um, However, we started. And so in June of 2021, we did our first doula training and we just decided for now, let's just schedule them quarterly. I believe the next one is in March. So we're just going to go with it and see, we have to figure out the marketing and what, how that will be to grow, Sure, um, you know, because we're not connected to any larger organizations. And we have talked a lot about it. Um, and both of us want there to be something local in the state of Minnesota, but also feel really strongly that sometimes the larger, larger organizations, people don't want to be affiliated with a large organization for different reasons. And so joining with one, I feel uncomfortable with just because of that. Um, And also we can, even though we do it virtual, so people, for people who are not in town or don't feel comfortable meeting yet because of COVID. So we do the hybrid, you can be in person or not, but we really want to help people understand how to do it, what doulas really are versus what they're not. But also we are doing some bias trainings a little bit, Mm. you know, to start that. And so, like I told you, I really have an affinity for the book, The Birth Partner. It was really helpful for me. Um, So that is a part of what we want people to read. The second book that is mandatory is My Grandmother's Hands. Mm. And it's a really important book about reality for us. And um, it's not about birth but it's a part of our doula training. I love it. I love that. Yeah. I don't think I've read it. So I'm going to have to, we'll, we'll add them to the show notes and I will definitely check that book out. So my grandmother's hands is by a local trauma therapist, um, Resma Monica. Um, and I can send you the link to that as well. Yes, absolutely. We will add that. I I'm going to check it out. So I would love to hear. So with your doula training and with like train, like becoming a doula as a career, Mm -hmm. how, like, I find that, you know, a lot of doula trainings are, you know, it's a two day weekend workshop and, you know, you learn like the double hip squeeze and the flow of labor. But I think, you know, at least for me, you know, it was two days and then it was kind of trial by fire. It was like, just go. And, and I, I feel Mm -hmm. like I kind of just learned along the way. And there's, there's, I think you are similar to me in that we're very intuitive in this work. Mm-hmm. And so there's some stuff we kind of picked up along the way that maybe wasn't part of our doula training. And I would love to hear your take on what you see as maybe some important things for doulas to know that aren't part of their training. You already mentioned one that I think is important, which is trauma being trauma informed. 
-hmm. there any other things that you're like, this needs to be in every doula training or every doula needs to know about this? Right. Well, definitely. um, So part of that topic is microaggressions. Mm, Um, The reality for BIPOC people in the MIC, the medical industrial complex, as well as the reality for the LGBTQ plus community. And so those three things we talk about, a portion of each day goes to those, or two of the three days, because we do Friday, Saturday, Sunday, a portion of Friday and a portion of Saturday goes to bias training. And so I think that needs to be in all trainings, but not all trainers can talk about it because they themselves have no idea. Right, exactly. That's important business, you know, what are the things I need? Yeah. You know, um, I remember taking um, Jordan Anderson <laughs> to make sure I say his name right. Yeah. Um, he is an attorney and he, I don't know, early in my doula career, he did a class just for doulas. And the things he said that as a lawyer, he suggests that all doulas do was to have an LLC. So some type of legal entity. Mm-hmm. Um to have your, a business bank account and to have a solid contract and to yes. have insurance. So I guess there's four things. Yeah. And, um, I, from that moment, I was like, Oh shoot, I don't have all these things. Right. <laughs> but so we're talking about that. We're taking time to talk through like those types of things. Um, having some type of digital calendars so people can sign up with you, you know, thinking through like, I don't know, keeping your mileage or whatever some of those business things are, <clears throat> which I did not learn. I mean, I do remember talking about calendars and being organized, but not business. So that's a part that should be in all trainings and people need to think through. Um, personal boundaries mm-hmm. needs to be discussed in doula trainings because it's real easy working oh with the community and not having boundaries because I'm doing good work. Right. Yeah, but yeah. I also have to have a life, you know? So yeah. for me, this is not everyone, right? But for me, I only do interviews on Mondays. Mm, if there's not a good. spot on this yeah. Monday, you can do next Monday. Exactly. Unless yeah. someone contacts me and says, Rhonda, I work on Monday evenings or I whatever Monday evenings, then I'm open to it. But I don't have space on my calendar. I have a calendar link just for interviews and it only takes you to Mondays, right? Um, that is so good. I think, and do you, here's a question. Here's a question to go along with that. Do you, so I found, and, and it's changed for me throughout the years when I was new, I would, you know, go meet them wherever a coffee shop by their house. And, you know, it's a big Metro area, you know, as I grew, I I had (laughs) for a while, I had an office space. So you always came to my office space. Mm -hmm. Now it's, you come to the coffee shop near my, my house. Mm-hmm. what's your thoughts? Like, yeah, do you do that as well? Do you say, you know, come here, these are where I do my interviews or. Yes. I love what you just said, because when I started out, I would just meet people wherever, wherever, do- whenever. Right. And then, I don't know, maybe three years ago, out of these five years, I realized half these people are not hiring me. I'm wasting my everything, my money, my time, my gas mm-hmm. by driving to their side of town. And so yeah. I live really close to the highway. And so there's a coffee shop right there. When you, as soon as you get off the highway, there's a coffee shop. It's a mile from my house. And so then I moved to, again, still on Monday nights, you get 45 minute slots and five o'clock, six o'clock or seven o'clock. So I can do them right after each other. And then I got to the point where it's like, no, 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 no. I don't want people to schedule five o'clock and seven o'clock. Cause then I have nothing to do for an hour. Right. So on my calendar, I will put five o'clock slot and the six o'clock slot. If someone signed up for the six o'clock slot, I would add a seven o'clock slot. Right. Mm-hmm. And so then I, that's what I was doing. That's smart. That's really smart. COVID happened mm. and everything went virtual. I have not done any interviews in person since COVID. I am this, I loved, I am not doing as many births this year. So I haven't had as many interviews and I'm only doing repeats, but, mm-hmm. um, back in 2020, you know, my husband lost his job and I was like, you know, I can. I can, I can feel, I, you know, just add some births. I love birth. Mm-hmm. And so I did a lot more interviews through zoom and I loved it. Oh yeah. You know? It's great. It's really helpful. And then, you know, you, you eliminate driving and they can maybe yeah. interview more doulas if they want and find their fit. So I think there's a lot we can do virtually these days, not everything. And there's, it's important to do some in-person things, but zoom is great. You know, I right. think more doulas should utilize 
these tools. Yes. Um, and I remember I, thinking keep going. way before COVID that I didn't, I don't want to do things virtual. I want to be in person and I, I, like, know. I want all of my interviews to be virtual and that's how I want them to be. Yeah. So you get to do what you get to do. That's the cool thing about owning your own business. You know, yeah, you have to do some of the, like, maybe not as fun for a lot of us, um, you know, administration work. Mm -hmm. Um, but you get to be in charge. You get to be your own boss. How amazing, you know, um, I want to hear, you know, I think, I don't know if you've noticed this in your time as a doula, but I've been a doula for 12 years and I don't know if anyone is still dueling that I went through my training with. I think it's such mm-hmm. a high burnout job for a yeah. variety of reasons. Like you said, we, we sometimes are expected to fight for people. It's just really, we, it's just a really hard job. And I right. think people get into it because they're like, birth is amazing. I just want to be around birth. And then they, they realize the realities. Babies. Yeah. I hold people's babies. I rarely right. touch people's babies. Me either. I think I've held like I can probably list on one hand, how many babies I've held in like at the birth, I will do it if I need to, for whatever right. reason, but it's so rare. And, right. and I'd be like, what, why don't you have the part, you know, partner do it, you know, so <laughs> <laughs> you don't need me. Um, so yeah. Um, how do you like, or what do you see? How do we make this sustainable? Like, how do we eliminate some of the burnout? I, I, I hear you already saying some of those things, right? Like, like boundaries. Boundaries Boundaries are so important. That's one of the most important things. Um, Setting up a calendar. So there's boundaries, like just in general, figuring out what your boundaries are. Like, I'm not going to take calls after this time if it's not labor or whatever, you know, but then having a calendar, like I realized how much time I wasted having conversations about scheduling. Like, okay, are you free this day? No. Okay. What about this? Oh my goodness. That's a waste of my time. It's a waste of everyone's time, you know? So having that really helped save time. I just recently this summer, um, now that I'm truly full-time in birth work, um, hired a friend who's a business coach and paid her full price, which is also another thing that makes burnout when people are not paying you properly, but, um, and had her set up dub saddle for me to do everything automated. That is a game changer, like really getting organized, getting some automation, I remember when I first became a doula and seeing people talk about these automation and these systems. And I'm like, I'm not paying, spending my money on that, but I was not taking that many clients and it wasn't worth the money. And now it's worth my time and money. Right. So that type of thing also helps to save with burnout. So really getting set up and organized um, to me is one of the big things in setting those boundaries. Another thing is having a community, right? So you have to have doulas who um, you can talk to and you can trust right that you can so vent to, that you can get help from like I wonder how many doulas out there really never talk to anybody while they're at a birth do you never ask a question or get other advice or <clears throat> right after a birth talk to someone like do you really are there doulas out there who really don't talk to anybody ever about that would be unhealthy that seems unhealthy to me and that wouldn't yeah. work for me So I think that helps with burnout to have a community that if I have a question during labor, I can call someone if I mean, or text someone, if I am, it's a long birth and I'm taking a break to eat, I can call and talk to somebody. Yeah. Or just vent. Sometimes you just need to vent. You just need somewhere to put it. That's not to the clients. Right. And that it's also helpful when it's another birth worker because they understand. Yes, exactly. We can have great family and friends who have no idea what's happening and they really are generally trying to be supportive, but it's not full support. Like I need it in a moment. That's frustrating because they don't even know what I'm talking about. So by the time I explain to you what I'm talking about, then I don't even want to tell you what I'm talking about. (laughs) That's so so true. That I think that also helps with burnout. Having a uh, proper backups helps. Oh my goodness. Yes. I think it's unprofessional for doulas to take clients if they don't have backups. That's my 100% personal opinion. Agree. I agree. 100%. You know, like, how do you ever say yes to someone and not know if you're going to have backups? Now, that doesn't mean that every time I say yes, I've already checked that, that guest date with another doula, but to know that I have a community of people that I trust, right. that at any time I can call Holly or Heather or Nadine, you know, or Sarah or 
you know, Katie or Mumi. Like I know right now I can list these people that if I call them and said, XYZ emergencies came up, I need you to go. One of them is going to say yes, if not multiple. Right. And so like that to me also helps burn out because trying to do it all by yourself is not a thing. No, it's not. It's not at all. You know, I think, you know, I'm the face in quotes of this company, One Strong Mama, Body Ready Method, but there is a whole team behind me. You know, this podcast, I just send them this audio and they do all these things. If Mm -hmm. I had to do all of that, I would be burnt out years ago. Like we cannot, even when you think someone is on their own, like most people that are like thriving have, I don't know if you can thrive without community. I just don't, it's so hard. And you know, I want to, and with that backup, what if you're at a birth for 30, you know, after, at a certain point of being awake for a certain mm-hmm. amount of time, right? You're not, it's not going to be, you're not going to give the right level of support. I, no. I'm not myself when I'm awake for 40 hours, right. I need another doula who can come in fresh eyes, freshly mm-hmm. rested. And sometimes that's the energy that that family needs. It's not you deserting them. Right. You're giving them what they need, which can't be you after 40 hours necessarily. And something that's really important. And I mean, lots of things are important, right? But really important about backups is also, I need to know that you understand things the way I understand them, right. or at least close to it. So exactly. if you haven't taken similar training, I don't want you to be my backup. And that's no totally. offense to you. No. But if, if my client's baby is OP and um, you're talking about giving back compressions, like you're not the doula for me to partner with. Right. Like I, I'm not, no, no, yeah. no. And you understand <laughs> this with your work, but no, we're not pushing in people's sacrum for, because the baby's OP to help with pain. Like at some point we need to take off the bandaid and see how can we get this baby to rotate? Exactly. Yes. Right? Oh my goodness. Yeah. You so definitely I, want a backup that's similar yeah. to you. Yes. And maternal fetal positioning is becoming one of the most important things to me as a doula. I agree. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about like the work, not family relationships. So I'm not yeah. those, separating those, right? Yeah. Most important thing to me is not the family. It's not what I'm saying. Yeah, but like, no, I get really, it. Really, I need my backup to understand that we're making decisions about position changes based off of where the baby is, if things are not moving along smoothly, right? And so also we do very, very, very brief introduction to that in our doula training and say, these are the trainings you need to take. So you understand it. Cause I can't train you in this. That's not my, that's not. Yeah. It's an advanced training. I agree. And you know, we have body ready method. That's our doula training, which Mm -hmm. is not an initial doula training. You know, we, you need an initial doula training and then you can learn beyond that. Right. Like you can learn and you should. And I do think that I agree with you. I think that that is the way of the future. And that is a way that we can elevate our profession, because, you know, when medical stuff has to happen, the, the midwife or the OB and the nurse, they are focused on that, which they should be like, they should be, their job is to focus on the safety of those people are, we are freed up from that. That is not our job. So we can really focus on the physiology and the biomechanics and Mm -hmm. the coping strategies and, you know, what that birthing person is feeling, you know, going through during that right. medical thing. Cause they, they're not, and they can't do both. They can't no, make they sure can't. you're okay mentally while they're trying to save you. They need to save you and we mm-hmm. can support you. So it's just, I think if the medical team will realize that we make them able to do their job better and they right. can hopefully make us it, you know, if we can just support each other, we are complementary. <laughs> we are not, right. we don't right. have to be against. Um, what I want to ask you, because I, you mentioned it briefly and I want to like draw it out a little bit before okay. I, I mean, we could talk forever, but, um, what do you think about doulas charging their worth? Like, do you think if you're a new doula, you should, you know, some organizations will say like five free births or no. like, what's your, what's your thoughts on the payment no. of doulas? <laughs> Listen, we don't have time. <laughs> Let me try to shorten this the best Yeah, do I can. a quick one, quick one. So here's the thing. No matter how many years I've been a doula, I still have to pay for parking. I still have to eat if mm-hmm. I run out of lunch because I'm there a long time or if I didn't have time to grab a lunch. 
I still have to pay for childcare if I have childcare. I still have to pay for gas to get there. I still, I still, I still. Yeah. It is not okay to me that people are told they have to work for free because they're new. It is not okay for me to tell someone, well, you can charge $500. That is craziness. Yeah. For the amount of work that it is. Oh, so basically you can have $5 an hour. Yeah. $7 an hour, make $11 an hour. You can't pay rent on $15 an hour. And that's a different topic in our country. (laughs) But you know, it's like, no, that's not okay. I've been telling people you need to come out the gate. Try not to come less than a thousand. Cause here's the thing. You got to pay bills. You, you got to live. And if this is going to be your work straight out the gate, and you're charging $500 a birth because that's what you were told to you. So all you can do, then how many births do I need to take in a month in order to pay my bills? Too many. <laughs> and it's not, and then, then it's really not healthy, right? No. And so yeah. I just, I don't think that people should charge a thousand. I just use that as a number I throw out to say, look, stop with that little bitty stuff. Well, it's my friend. It's my sister. It's my cousin. They should be paying your full fee. I agree. Yeah. And you know, I, I, I will, I have done that to, I have my cousin, you know, paid me to be at their birth and, you know, I don't ever feel like I need to be at your birth. It's, Mm -hmm. it's like, if you're willing to, you know, it's an, it's an exchange. I wouldn't go ask my friend who does hair to do my hair for free. Mm -hmm. You know, I pay her to do my hair because Mm -hmm. that's her job. And Mm -hmm. I think that we just need to, I think a lot of, you know, especially cis females, Mm -hmm. there's this, we have money stuff. Like we, we don't feel like we have worth or we can charge our worth. Um, and it's this whole system, the patriarchy, who knows, but there's a lot of reasons why we don't feel confident charging, but Rhonda and I are here saying like, you are worth it. If you want this to be your job, you you need to I mean, charge. Yeah. And the other thing I'll say about money. So I, um, do things differently than what I hear most people do. And I think everyone should run their business the way they need to. Um, but I don't follow the philosophy of two prenatals and one to two postpartums. I follow the philosophy of if my clients could get on my calendar, then I'll meet with them. Mm. And so, um, there are a lot of families that feel great that two prenatals work for them. Most of my clients do three or more. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also don't have a fee that is for set. That. Um, yep. So whatever you pay is whatever you pay and you get as many visits as you can get on my calendar because remember I have boundaries and I have a set calendar. Yeah. And so, okay. um, so we, we got to bring all the things together and not separate those things out. The other thing is um, I have a fee range and people pay whatever they want within that. And so I, and I've recently seen a lot of discussions about, well, how do you know if they need a sliding fee? That's none of my business. It's right. like, I don't have time to worry about other people's bank accounts. Yeah. You agree based in this fee range, most people pay me somewhere between 12 and 1500. Right. Around that's the, the majority. However, um, I used to only charge a thousand. And I remember the first meeting. I think this is important for people to hear. Mm-hmm. I remember the first uh, interview I went to where the family said their budget was eleven hundred. How much is your fee? And I was looking at them. <laughs> like, what do I say? <laughs> Those couple seconds of do I say my fee is eleven hundred or do I say my fee is a thousand? Sure. Yeah. And so not long after that, I changed my contract to say that my fee range was a thousand and fifteen hundred. That's, <laughs> and then, that's amazing. And then um, it was a thousand and fifteen hundred for a while. And then I had an interview, or it was a repeat client. Well, I was the backup doula, and this time they were interviewing me. And um, they said, "Well, this time around, our budget is sixteen hundred dollars, hmm. but my contract says a thousand and fifteen hundred." And so, you know, I just keep learning. Yeah. People are willing. Yeah. Right now my contract says my range is a thousand to 2000. People choose whatever they want to do. 
I love it. Uh, and so I, um, I raised it based off of realizing, oh, the market is changing for some families. So I'm going to raise the top and not the bottom. Okay. Right? Yeah, I get that. And then every once in a while, which is rare, but every once in a while, I'll have a family say, um, we've really been saving and we have $800 towards a doula. Well, I'm saying yes to that family if we're a good fit for each other, because mm-hmm. most people are paying me around 1500 right? right? And so that's how I do money. And I think it's important to have that in the podcast that everyone is going to run their business differently. I'm not telling anyone to run their, the money side of their business like me. I'm also saying, but you don't have to do it the way most other people are doing it if that doesn't make you comfortable. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and I think that's important too, when we talk about this work is that you have to know what's important to you. I had a family who, um, that I was with them, their baby was born in the spring. And then here we are in the fall and the doctors are saying the baby needs brain surgery. Who do you think the family called? Rhonda. Yeah. Not because I'm so great, but because I'm the doula and they spend so much time getting to know me. And so now I find myself in a place of convincing them that actually your baby does need the surgery. After mm-hmm. I had to do my own research, yeah, yeah, the doctors were telling them, and hear what the second opinion was, and all of the pediatric surgeons are saying your baby needs this brain surgery before this age because then it'll make it harder for the mm-hmm. brain, right? Sure. So then it's time for the surgery, and they want me to be there with them, right? So you, so we as doulas can develop these relationships with families, and and my philosophy is. Um, I want to stay in contact with people in a, in a healthy way past those first few months, right? So a lot of families, what it looks like is I'm just sending random text messages. Hey, I'm thinking about you today. You know, mm-hmm. if yeah. their baby could be nine months old, 15 months old, you know, if it happens, it happens. But really, um, I know we didn't mention like um, preeclampsia and postpartum depression and anxiety and things like that. But I do think that, not I do think, as part of how I do love, um, staying in contact with people, checking in is important because sometimes the doula is the only person who actually was checking in in those first months anyway. Yeah. And so I am um, aware of the Black maternal mortality and morbidity rates, um, blood pressure issues, um, mood issues, and all the things that I still stay in touch with families loosely for most, but more intentionally with some, um, even throughout the first year. And I think that's important for my business. And so how we do our business and what our focuses are looks different depending on the community we're in. Um, Physically, we live in the Minneapolis Twin Cities area, but also I'm in the Black community. I'm in the BIPOC community. Um, I'm in the inner city community. You know, what does that look like? How does my doula business need to shape and change in order to meet the needs of the people I'm serving, but I also serve people in Edina, you know, and Egan. And so, so, so if people listening, those are like the more like r- maybe cliche or like richy suburbs. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so it's like, you just have to know the families you're serving, no matter where they live, each family is an individual. Right. Yeah. I always say, you know, when I have doula interviews, they might say like, how do you normally doula? My answer is always, it depends. It depends on the family. Mm -hmm. You know, some person maybe doesn't want to be touched like that one you were talking about. And then others, you're like massaging them for hours on end. And some people don't want any words and other people, you know, need all the words. So it's just, it's about meeting each individual Mm -hmm. where they're at. So amazing. So Rhonda, this has been amazing. I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I feel like we need like five more episodes, but (laughs) I want to know where can people connect with you? And we will make sure we add those to the show notes as well. Sure. So my website is oily doula, MN, MN for Minnesota, oily for essential oils, oily doula, MN.com. And everything is there from, um, doula like birth doula services to very limited cultural postpartum services to pelvic steaming also known as vaginal and yoni steaming which I'd rather us talk about the pelvic floor because everyone with the pelvic floor can benefit from steaming Amazing. Um, and so information on that and doula training but also 
I um, have a donation page, it says campaign actually, where just collecting money throughout the year to help BIPOC birth workers with continuing education. Um, and that looks different in different ways. So going to oilydoulamn.com is where you can find me. I'm on Instagram, but it's not a ton of things there. Well, we'll add it all. Rhonda's amazing. Everyone connect with Rhonda. She is amazing. Thank you for being on Rhonda. We will talk again soon. Thank you for listening to Pros Talk Pregnancy, the podcast. We are passionate about making the childbearing years better. And as professionals, when we work together, that is when we see the greatest shifts. So thank you for being here with us. Please consider leaving us a rating and a review. This really helps us to get this important paradigm shifting information out there to those who need it. Also, if you are a game changing perinatal or birth professional, or you know someone who is and would be interested in coming on the podcast, we want to hear from you. Please reach out at podcast at bodyreadymethod.com. As always, I am so honored to be here with you. See you next time.